Welcome to Humanity at its Best. I'm Carol Cohn, and with me is a gentleman I have known for decades, but we've never had a chat. So I am so thrilled to have him. And his name is Amidar, and he is the founder and the executive director of Idealist. So welcome to Humanity at its Best, Ami. Thank you, Carol. It's good to be here. So these are obviously really trying times, and Idealist has had an amazing purpose um, since you founded it about 25 years ago. So why don't you just let our listeners know about Idealist, what your mission was 25 years ago, how it's evolved, and then we're going to get into, you know, what are you doing now to really help people during COVID-19? I was born in Israel, and then I grew up in Peru and Mexico as a kid. My parents went there for work. And ever since I was a really sort of small boy, I I sort of was a social justice freak. I think when I was like eight or nine years old, (laughs) I started asking my parents, why are there, you know, children in the streets begging while we have food at home, et cetera. And then I sort of grew up with with that sense that some things were wrong with the world. And and the question was, you know, what what could I, you know, little, little me, I was 10, 11, 12 years old. What could I do to, to change something? And so then, you know, life sort of went by. Uh, we went back to Israel, um, had to serve in the army for three years, uh, saw some things there that made me want even more to change things, and then went traveling for a while. And so in the mid-80s, I, I, was, I was backpacking uh, across South America, and I, I started meeting lots of people, both local and travelers, international, who in some way wanted to get involved where they were, uh, do something. And it was completely not obvious how to find something, especially... I think it's harder now for younger people to think of a world where there was no web, right? There was no web, there was no cell phone. Right. And so how do you find a place to volunteer, a place to give, a place to work? And so I thought, you know, that would be a pretty cool thing to do. But I was 24. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anything. I had no money. Uh, there was no web. But I thought there must be a way of doing this. So I went back to Israel uh, for a while. I was a waiter. I was a translator. Then a friend hired me to, to work at a software company. So a few years went by. I kept obsessing about this. And then the web was invented. And when I saw the web for the first time in 93, 94, I thought, oh my God, this thing was invented just for me. And now I can uh, use it to basically connect people and organizations. So then, uh, so long story short, then we, we launched, I launched Ideas in, in 95, sort of with nothing, just with a computer and me sort of writing some pages. I found a couple of people. And the, the idea from the very beginning was to basically create a meeting point, a marketplace, a place where basically any nonprofit anywhere in the world that needed uh, volunteers, staff that basically wanted to promote its programs, but have a place where people could find it and connect with it. And so some of this stuff sounds obvious today, you know, the basics sort of matching, searching, email alerts when something sort of meets your needs. Uh, at that point, it was all new. Uh, we launched essentially the same year as Yahoo and Amazon and Craigslist and some of these other sort of big... Uh, oh, my God. The, the yeah, 95 good, was... Like goodies, huh? Yeah, 95, you know, the web was invented and people had these like brochure sites. 95 right. was the year in which you could, for the first time, connect a database to a website. It was the year in which you could basically track your FedEx package, if you like, or do a search on Amazon. And so that year, all these sites happened. And so we started then, at first, very small. Uh, we had no money. Money was very difficult to, to find for this at the beginning. And then we just kept going, and so it's been a it's been a very it's been a long journey. It's been twenty five years. Uh, there I am. There we are. We have a staff of thirty now in New York. Uh, we serve about one hundred and thirty thousand uh, nonprofits all over the world, except I think North Korea. Uh, we do it in English, Spanish, and uh, Portuguese. 
And uh, yeah, we get you know tens of thousands of people on the site every day. Over the years, it became, I guess, the sort of nonprofit job site in the U.S., plus big volunteer center around the world. Do you interact at all with points of light? Only, you know, sort of only as, as I guess, uh, colleagues. There's no uh, yeah. formal. We're talking to them now to find a way of integrating their volunteer opportunities from their volunteer centers into Idealist. Okay. So we're having that conversation actually right now. But there's not really, you know, you, you have colleagues in the sector that you work with. It's been always amicable, but we have, until now, we haven't really done anything. Now we're actually trying. It's interesting, part of the, you know, you asked for the COVID-19 thing. One thing I think that's interesting that's happening now is that on the one hand, you know, you, you have this horrible, horrible situation every way. And you find these like small silver linings, right? And so you find, well, you know, small silver lining. You and I talking this morning for the first time in 30 years, right? Like these things are happening. Uh, in a way, I think people are open to things that maybe they weren't open a month ago. Plus, I think they're stuck at home and they have nothing better to do than, you know, maybe, maybe you know, get back to you. And so I think you have all these uh, interesting partnerships and sort of things happening now that this thing, I think, has sort of opened up. And I think partly because people, I think, have sort of time and attention and partly maybe because it shows, you know, the importance of this versus, you know, maybe organizational jealousies and sort of, you know, little dumb things like that. This is obviously more important than all of that. Absolutely. Um, you're, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I love what you said about you have time and attention. And I think that people, because this is touches all of us, I mean, it's not just in a country um, or a hemisphere. It's all of us. And also, it's, it's not a light switch. It's not turned on, turned off. And it could, until we have the vaccine and we vaccine how many billions of people? That's a lot of you know people to to vaccinate. It's going to be a, we're going to change the way we live. Yes, I believe there is no back to normal. That there'll be a new normal. So, what are you seeing in terms of traffic to your website? What obviously people are doing more virtual volunteering, but not for profits are in you know they have services to offer. Obviously, they still need to raise funds. Um, food insecurity is a huge issue. So what are you seeing and what's changing right now for, uh, for what you're doing? We still get, uh, I would say surprisingly, we still get 100, 150 jobs posted a day. And I have to say that in a sense, each one of them surprises me in the sense that, you know, who is hiring now? My God. And yet people are hiring. You know, you have schools that are hiring. You have, like you said, you know, food banks. I mean, people do need to support uh, the current situation. So you're seeing, fear that, you're seeing uh, lots of new traffic coming in, looking for ways to help. Uh, people, I think, are, are stuck at home uh, and they want to find a way to help. And of course, nonprofits, many of them need the help, right? They need the help because in some cases, they're serving many more people. Again, food banks being the sort of obvious example. And in some cases also, they um, don't have the volunteers they had before. Many of these organizations depended on seniors as volunteers, and those seniors are the yeah. highest. I've, I've been uh, hearing that. Yeah. So they, they sort of can't or don't want to or are discouraged from showing up. And so they need more volunteers uh, in many cases. They need money. The financial situation, to be completely honest, I think, for many nonprofits right now is, is very, very bad, right? So you have galas being canceled. You have, you know, donations in some cases going down because people, of course, lose their jobs. And so they're not going to, in some cases, donate. Uh, foundations are being careful. Governments are sort of stuck with no money. Uh, so I think it's a pretty dire situation. I think your your uh, point that this is going to last for a while 
I think for our sector, it's absolutely going to last for a while. Absolutely. And I think that uh, it'll definitely uh, change. Things. I think your observation that there, there's not going back to sort of a normal, uh, I think it's, 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 it's very well. I mean, you know, I was thinking that it's, it's, of course, very, very different, right? But we all understand, especially, you know, if you have a little bit of a view of history, that, that you had a world that existed before the Second World War. And then the world that started after 1945 was a different world. It, it, things changed. Things did not go back. And of course, this is very different. It's not going to last, you know, four or five or six years. Um, it's not that kind of tragedy. But I think it is going to uh, cause some very, very substantial changes in the way we work, the way we communicate, the way we travel. I have a good friend who has been doing a uh, conference about uh, community organizing, and he's been doing it in New York for the last 10 years. And they get about 250 people uh, every year. And they've done a traditional thing of, you know, finding a space, inviting people, et cetera. So this year, they were forced to go online. Right. And they did it. They did a virtual conference. They did a good job of virtual conference. The, the software, I think, in general, has come to the stage where you can have an actual conference with breakouts and, you know, simultaneous sessions, et cetera. And lo and behold, they got 1,700 people to show up. 1,700? Instead of 250. Did he charge just a little bit so they could get some income? He, he, charged, he charged less. I mean, this is always a conference mm-hmm. that is sort of relatively inexpensive right. for working class people. So, you know, it's 95 bucks. Right. Uh, but it always is, is relatively cheap. The thing is that until now, no matter what interest they had, they were limited by the physical space and by people's also need to be in New York, right. right? Whereas now they were open to anyone attending and people attended from all over the world. And so I doubt that next year he is going back to 250 people in the same room. Why should he? People were very happy. Also, you had all these really interesting comments. I was seeing comments, people's online. People were saying, you know, it is amazing. And people are sort of semi-serious and actually pretty serious. They were saying, it's amazing to be able to attend the conference in my pajamas. <laughs> this is great. You know, I don't have to. Pajamas you know, for I'm an introvert. That's a new yeah, line I'm of I'm an introvert. Right. I, I can, right. you know, I can go in and out. I can have my baby on my lap. Uh, that's an amazing way to attend the conference. And so, of course, some people want human warmth. I mean, there'll always be room for that. But in this very specific case, I don't know if he's going back and that events that were meant to be, you know, for X, you know, all these thoughts around, you know, uh, you know, the leading universities, right, that are now working online. Uh, you know, why shouldn't Harvard serve 10 million people who said they only have to serve 10,000 people, right? So that gets, I think, really interesting. And I, I don't think we're going back in any way. No, and I think that if you can find a way to do that face to face, but do it on Zoom yep. or whatever or platform you've got, so you can meet those people and go deeper when you're in those conferences, someone's going to figure it out. Of course. You know, you're going to, you're, you're going to, it's going to have like matching requests. Yep. I want to meet so and so. And then, and then it happens. So I, I totally agree with you. So, I mean, can you tell me about any, um, stories that have happened that have been surprising good, um, vis-a-vis COVID and um, idealist. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, the, the two so the two things that we're doing uh, immediately, we started doing this immediately uh, once this happened. Was one is that when nonprofits now come to idealist or individuals, um, and when nonprofits post a volunteer opportunity, they can check off a box that says this is COVID related. And so any individual who comes to the site, if you go there now and you go to, you know, click on volunteering, you can find all the opportunities that are COVID related right now, which of course 
tend to be virtual, tend to be, um, you know, you, you can do them remotely. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're for this. So we did that and we're seeing sort of lots of interesting things uh, popping up. What kind of interesting things are popping up? Well, everything, because you're seeing everything from people saying, you know, come over, we need your help, you know, giving out food all the way to basically, you know, tutor a child or, you know, it can be, it can be that whole range, right? And things that before maybe didn't really make sense to people. I need your help to tutor a child, you know, by Zoom or by Skype. Now it completely makes sense. So you're seeing uh, that, you know, help with fundraising, et cetera, all the things that it turns out that we can do from home if we have a, you know, device of some sort. Um, and the other thing that we what that we're doing right now in the middle of that is that you see all these um, local neighborhood sort of mutual aid groups popping up all over the country for just neighbors helping neighbors. And so we're creating a directory and a map where you, if you go to the homepage of Adidas now, you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a map of these um, mutual aid groups around the world where people can basically go and find one near them or add their own. So that's the second thing that we're doing uh, in the middle of this uh, to help people basically, uh, you know, help each other. So how do you get your funding? We have been fortunate in that basically, um, as I said, at first funding was very difficult. And so in a sense, we were forced to find a way to self-fund. And what we do basically is that everything on the site is free for everyone with one sort of narrow exception, which is that when nonprofits in the U.S. Uh, post a full-time job, they pay 95 bucks. Volunteering is free. Internships is free. Jobs around the world are free. Uh, nonprofits in the U.S., Paid ninety five bucks for a job, which you know in the market is a very low price compared to other places. Um, that keeps us going. That's enough. That has been enough. Yep. And so basically, simply doing our work pays for the work, which is of course you know everyone's it's 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 a dream come true. It was. Now of course you know jobs are being posted, and so of course that hurts us. Fortunately, we have you know a nice reserve, um, and so we're you know we're okay for now. But obviously, if this you know, goes on more than, you know, um, a year, uh, that would not be pleasant. So we'll see what happens. Okay. And then what would you like to tell our listeners about how they can engage with you? One of, you know, one of two or three big ways, go to the org. Um, as I said, there are still jobs being posted every day. So if, if you or anyone you know is looking for the kind of job that's being posted now that takes sort of COVID into account, uh, please go there. There are you know, two or 3,000 jobs at the moment that are open. Um, if you want to volunteer, there are nonprofits every day that are posting ways to volunteer with them, again, in the current sort of uh, situation. And lastly, if you're looking for a local group that, that can, you know, help, uh, where you can help your neighbors, uh, or you run such a group, please come and either find it on our directory, on our map, or place it there. That would be fantastic. So yes, you know, jobs, volunteer opportunities, and mutual aid. Those are the three things that people can do right now. That's great. So it's idealist, I-D-E-A-L-I-S-T dot mm -hmm. org. Yes. And please, I think that many people will want to take a look. I I'm curious, considering uh, the social distancing, um, have you provided advice um, on the website regarding virtual volunteering? Obviously, that's, the, I mean, for many people, that's the preferable option, right? If you can do it uh, remotely, do it remotely. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, people are finding ways. So we're seeing all these people that are picking up food, for example, for their families, and they're doing it from their car, right? The car goes in, they open the trunk, mm -hmm. the food comes right. in, and there's no real contact. So I think the different organizations that are doing this are figuring out a way they don't want, you know, the liability, obviously, they want to be helpful responsible 
And so they're finding ways to, uh, to do this. So I think people should feel safe, at least, you know, looking. There's nothing, there's nothing risky in looking. You can then decide if you want to do it or not. You're very wise and you're a founder and you have been doing not just surviving, but thriving for 25 years, maybe with a few ups and downs. Um, what are a few insights that you can share with other not-for-profits or other people out there that may want to start um, a social enterprise or an NGO uh, in the post-COVID world? Well, we'll see. We'll see what that world is. When you said you're very wise, all I could think was, you know, I, I could hear was you're very old. Yeah. No, quite, quite I didn't old. say <laughs> that. You and I <laughs> no, were contemporary. I, so I know, I'm gonna, I know, I know. where were you during the years of the student strike? Were you old enough to be in college? Student strike. No. Well, first of all, I didn't go to college, which is a whole other story. I, okay. I, I didn't like school, so that didn't happen. But um, I, I got here in 92. I came to the States in 92. Okay, so you, it was a U.S. sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, I think, you know, in terms of, of I mean, you know, the things that I think I always tell people, which is sort of patience and persistence. I mean, these things, um, sometimes you meet people who have an idea. I'm sure this happens to you all the time. And they say, you know, I want to do this or that. And then it doesn't happen in a month or two or three. And they sort of get tired and discouraged and they drop it. And most good things take a while. And so if you want to do something, if you really want to do it, um, be ready to, uh, you know, to invest some real time in it. The other thing, which, which might seem to contradict that, is that sometimes people want to do something big uh, or they have a big dream and they basically procrastinate. They, they, they use the bigness of the dream to say, I'm not getting started until I get, you know, X, X dollars or X whatever. And usually when you when you're dreaming you know i want to start a mentoring a, mentor, a mentoring program for kids in boston and i'm dreaming of mentoring you know every kid in boston well you can start with one kid at your kitchen table and probably starting with one kid will be the best way of getting two kids and five kids also you can't get a thousand kids uh, literally without going to the first one first you have to start from one so you might as well start with one with no money and then go look for the money and go look for the funding. Don't don't let the, the big dream be an excuse for sort of doing nothing in the meantime. Uh, you can start. You can always start. Uh, you can always do something. Maggie Stone is doing incredible things in her community. So Maggie, thank you for joining us. And I'm just going to let you take it away with your story. All right. Thanks for having me. Um, so as she said, I'm Maggie. Um, I'm 19 years old and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. One of the things I've been doing recently is reaching out um, during this time of quarantine to um, this place called AG Roads. Um, it's a community wellness center. And I I was looking for service hours originally, but um I ended up writing about 90 letters to um, senior citizens that are stuck um, in their communities because they're being isolated from their families for their health purposes. So I get to have a little bit of time bringing joy to them. And I think that that's really important. At first, I was like, oh my goodness, 90 letters. It's a really a lot of letters to write, but it's been very refreshing to get to share a little bit of my story with them and to bring a little light to their situation since they don't get to have a lot of communication while being isolated. 
Absolutely. And what I think is really special is that it was actually AG Rhodes that reached out to our team to highlight your work. That itself just shows what an impact you're having. Maggie, what's in these letters? I mean, you said writing 90 letters is a lot of work. What do you say to these people who I'm sure are very lonely and very appreciative of these notes? One of the main contents of my letters is um, I go to a Christian college, so I have a very Christ-centered life and view on things. And I add a lot of encouraging Bible verses to these letters. So whether it's from Psalms or from one of the Gospels, I just think that sometimes that's like reading those things is very helpful. I also, um, a lot of times add little doodles. I really like to draw. So sometimes those bring joy to people. (laughs) And I don't know, I just like to let them know that someone is thinking of them. Obviously their families are, but some of them don't have families. So just that someone out there knows that they're there and that they may or may not be lonely during this time. I think anyone would be lucky and and happy to get a note from someone else. So certainly I'm sure it helps during this time even more. Maggie, so you're a student um, and you're, along with all of us, are living through this pandemic. How affected you personally, just with school, with life? Uh, And how did that spur you to make a difference in your community? Since I'm taking classes at home now, I have a lot of work on my hands, but I also have a lot of free time. And I've been spending that with my family and just seeing them get letters from their friends. It's like we're going back to handwriting letters instead of just FaceTiming and um, writing texts here and there. And I see the joy that they're getting from receiving letters from like their friends that live further away and the joy that I'm getting from getting letters from my friends from college that I don't get to see on a daily basis. Seeing that we're all taking that extra mile, taking that extra step to reach out to one another to make sure that everyone knows that they are loved and that they do have people around them, maybe not physically, but that are thinking of them is just very nice, especially because I'm sitting in a basement finishing up my school, (laughs) zooming into my classes. So it's very isolated, but I know that there are people that want to reach out. And so that's nice. It does feel good good to give. Um, if anything, it keeps you busy. And uh, just the act of, of being kind to someone else certainly has an impact on our mental well-being. Yeah, Ma- Maggie, um, did you have a favorite psalm or two that you wanted to share with our listeners that might be appropriate for these times? My favorite Bible verse is actually um, from Proverbs. And it is Proverbs 4.23. It's guard your heart for all things flow from it. And I think that during this time of isolation, it's really important to guard our hearts and not let the enemy grab hold of them and tell us like, you're alone, like no one's caring for you right now. Like you don't get to see your friends, like they're not there because they are. And what we have to do to fight back in that is just like, remember that they are there and reach out to them and build our community whether it be over the phone, that's not as great as being in person, but just remembering that there are people there and that we're not alone. Well, that's that's beautiful. Um, we would love any insights or ideas that you have to capture the goodness that you're doing and so many millions of others around the country. Some people call it neighborliness, um, just being, you know, uh, empathetic or compassionate. How do we bottle that up and continue it? Um, Because we're never going to be back to normal. It's going to be near normal or new normal. But how do we take the silver lining 
from COVID and add to it, you know, accelerate it, continue it? I think that during this time, a lot of us are finding new ways to keep um, keep ourselves going and keep our relationships stronger. So I think that it's really important to bring all of these new ways of communicating, whether it be like um, writing letters to your neighbors and being like, hey, I saw that you planted a new garden. Like, that's really cool. And just like little uplifting notes or little uplifting texts that are just like, oh, I'm thinking of you right now. And just being very intentional as we ease out of this whenever that does happen, because it will be a new normal. And I think that'll be very hard for a lot of us to cope with and a lot of us to just learn how to live in this new normal. Um, And in that time, I think we need to be very intentional about remaining a part of our relationships and remaining inspirational in our relationships. Very, very thoughtful. Any insights for, because this is going to last for some time. Mm-hmm. So for others that you haven't shared, keep up their spirit or their friend's spirits or helping to keep the community fabric together. One thing that I found very uplifting during this time is um, I'm in a choir at school and we there's 50 women and we have all gotten a pen pal every week. And we've shared something that we're grateful for. So it might not always be sharing something that you're grateful for every day, but like having that time to just sit and reflect on things we're grateful for that have remained constant during this time and into this next season of our lives as COVID-19 diminishes, hopefully. And um, we all move into being outside of our homes and being back in community, just remembering all the things that we are grateful for and just letting that sink in because a lot of times we do sit in the darkness of what we're going through. And I think something that's going to get us through this maybe even tougher time easing back into Mm -hmm. our somewhat normal lives will be remaining in what has made us happy during this time. We have this marvelous woman joining us. Her name is Cherie Archer. And over 20 years ago, she founded Ozanam Charitable Pharmacy in Southern Alabama. And so, Cherie, I'd love you to just talk about the pharmacy, its mission, what you did pre the pandemic, and then what you're doing during the pandemic. So welcome to Humanity at its Best. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Uh, You gave me a great um, uh, uh, gift. Uh, However, uh, I joined the organization 12 years ago. Uh, Okay, so I gave you a few extra years. (laughs) (laughs) It it was founded by 14 wonderful individuals in Mobile, Alabama, uh, first with the mission to help seniors obtain food, you know, get food, because they found Mm. that seniors, uh, uh, you know, were having a hard time getting food stamps. But they found in trying to do that, that seniors were more... um, were not able to get access to their medication because Part D didn't exist then. Mm, and so okay. we were an answer to Part D. 
And uh, oh. that's how the organization was established to help seniors to get connected to their medication in Mobile, Alabama. Then Part D came about, and we expanded our services to include uh, adult individuals over the age of 19. And that's what we've mm-hmm. been doing uh, now for 22 years. And I bet you're busy. We are very, very busy uh, with keeping 1,704 patients connected to their medications. Uh, and these are life-sustaining medications. These are medications that uh, would be hard to get. We have, uh, out of that 1,700, about 600 of them are diabetic. And so mm. we're talking about medication that costs, you know, a nice mortgage. Right. And it's, it's not just choosing between uh, having food and medication. It's choosing between paying for your mortgage and having medication because with a long-acting diabetic medication, a short-acting diabetic medication, and the other medications that go with it, we're talking about $1,200 a month. And we're able to mm. provide all of these services at no cost. And how do you do that? How do you source your medications? We, uh, we have wonderful partners. We are partnered with Direct Relief Bulk Replenishment Program. Direct Relief is heavenly to us. Uh, we are a partner of Dispensary of Hope. We also have wholesalers who we have to actually purchase close to $108,000 worth of medication, and that's generic medication. And we also have a patient assistance program where we are able to connect to the pharmaceutical companies and get uh, the high-dollar medications donated directly to our patients. To add to all of that, we partnered with Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy in 2010. So we have fourth-year pharmacy students who who, uh, perform their rotations here uh, at the pharmacy to learn more about the underserved. And so they help our patients with what we call medication therapy management. So they help our patients to understand their disease state and how to uh, get the best outcomes of their medication. So we do a lot here in this little pharmacy in Mobile, Alabama, but it is it is a true direct mission, and but it takes a whole village. It does. So explain to me the name um, of your pharmacy and where it came from. The name, we are named after the blessed Frederick Ozanam. He hasn't reached sainthood yet, but I think Ozanam could get him there. <laughs> uh, the blessed Frederick Ozanam is the founder of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. In 1800s, Frederick Ozanam was on his way to law school in France when the plague hit. And he, he found it in his heart to start helping people on the side of the road who were dying. And as a result of that, uh, he created this society of St. Vincent de Paul that to this day still exists and still help people in personal crisis, in, uh, just like we're doing, in personal crisis, mm-hmm. in uh, natural disasters, and in times of, of COVID-19. So we were actually built on a mission, you know, many, 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 many years ago. So how is the pandemic impacting your services? Well, we are in a 4,000 square foot building and we don't have a drive through. So we actually have face to face meetings with our patients. Uh, Our students uh, at one time were seeing patients face to face to help them to understand their disease state and their prescription medication, we have had to stop face-to-face meetings. Uh, we're now going to phone calls to help our patients out. We have had to limit the number of patients entering our building to 
two people at a time, and we have lines across the floor to show social distancing. We also uh, have an open counter. So our counter didn't have a barrier between uh, the patient and, and the volunteers. So now we have a, a sheer curtain that we put across the counter to act as a barrier. Uh, it, traditionally, pharmacies do not have PPE because that's mm, not right. what we need. With the help of direct relief, we were able to receive PPEs and able to function, gloves and masks and um, sanitizer. Right. So we're doing great in, in that area. So it's changed the way we look at you know, how we serve our patients, but we're still serving our current patients and new patients. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about new patients and are you seeing an influx of new patients and how are you handling that amount? When one of the uh, prisons in the in the area released some prisoners to a uh, local halfway house, we did see an, an increase in that. However, we're seeing a decrease in the amount of patients who are actually coming into the pharmacy for a number of reasons. Uh, first, we were kind of prepared for this because we try to dispense 90-day prescriptions. So we had already dispensed a boatload of prescriptions in, in January. Uh, so we're not seeing a, a, an increase in our current patients coming in because they already have their prescriptions. Mm -hmm. There's also fear. Mm -hmm. There's a fear of coming into a, a building. In addition to that, the way we receive patients is we receive patients from the hospital systems, from our social service organizations like Salvation Army, which they they actually send their uh, caseworkers here. But we also certify our patients through those social service organizations, clinics, and hospital systems. Some of them are not operating right now. Uh, one of our main certifiers is not open. So as a result, we're having to certify new patients. And we are still certifying new patients, but what we are limiting uh, when they can come into the pharmacy to do so. Uh, so it's a long process. You had great ingenuity in terms of lines on the floors, certainly getting PPE. It's super that Direct Relief supported you that way. How about volunteers? Are you seeing additional volunteers or just different roles for your current volunteers? Well, what, what's happened with the volunteers, most of our volunteers are over the age of 65. So as a result, we have lost about 90% of our volunteers. We rely on our volunteers uh, to take care of our patients on the front end of the pharmacy. Only two of our volunteers from about 14 on the front side of the pharmacy that actually hands the patients their prescriptions uh, are not coming in at this time because of age and underlying illnesses. But because of our partnership with Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, we were able to get students in who had already done their rotations with us. We have uh, Mary and Wook, and they've been coming in along with two of our dedicated volunteers. And we've been keeping the front side of the organization going uh, because of the dedication of our partners uh, through Auburn mm. University. That's wonderful. Do you feel that, um, or do you hope, or that when we finally get through the pandemic, and maybe it's a year or two till we have the vaccines, mm -hmm. that the 
the generosity of the students at Auburn, per se, or mm-hmm. others who help you out, do you think that's going to continue? I believe so, because these are relationships that we've built over a long period of time. Uh, Auburn has been coming to the pharmacy. The students have been coming here since 2010. Uh, actually, our preceptor for those students is a volunteer pharmacist who works for Publix. And she's been uh, volunteering for, I believe, now nine years. Most of our volunteers have been here 14, 15 years. Wow. So we have a strong um, community relationship. We're also working with our city leadership. Mm-hmm. The mayor of Mobile has a phone call once a, once a week to determine our needs. And we're on that phone call. They're asking us if we need PPEs. Uh, how can we work together better to serve the homeless population? So I believe as a community, uh, we have such strong relationships that it would carry on after uh, COVID-19. You know, Mobile has been through the BP oil spill. We've been through uh, 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 Katrina. And we, we come back pretty strong and, and we learn better ways to implement programs to better serve the, the community here. And that's also through our, our national partners. You know, I mean, we're not just this community, but the whole United States lifting us up is helping us to do what we do every day. Well, you're you're doing amazing work. And the fact that you've been through all of those disasters and now this pandemic speaks so much to your your heart, your compassion um, and your smarts. In closing, I would love to ask, do you have two or three recommendations to other cities or other charitable pharmacies uh, who can uh, learn from your great work? Yes, I do. I, I, I believe that from a charity pharmacy standpoint, we are building a coalition together through charitypharmacy.org. And if you're if you are a charity pharmacy, charitable pharmacy, please, you know, join that group because we're learning best practices from each other. You know, build those relationships in your community. If we didn't have a relationship with our bank, we couldn't have applied for the pay loan protection program and actually receive it. So it's all about the relationships. Everybody has a chance to play a part. And having those relationships with uh, city leadership, county leadership, we serve four counties, Mobile, Baldwin, Escambia, and Washington County. So we try to build relationships in all of those counties because, you know, we want them to know that we're, we're the medication safety net for their most vulnerable population. So I would say build those relationships. Also, always have some type of disaster plan in place that you can modify in times like this and tailor it towards your organization so that you can make sure your your staff, your volunteers, and your patients or clients are, you know, protected. And uh, that's what we're trying to do every day here. Uh, We're still trying to serve those who need us the most. We will continue our mission no matter what. And I'm just blessed to be able to work with extraordinary staff and volunteers. You know, I just feel blessed every day to be able to do what we do here. Well, your wisdom and your compassion and empathy and business smarts and charitable smarts are just extraordinary. So I want to thank you for your time. Um, The wisdom that you've shared is great. 
And it's that kind of humanity adding up the coalitions and the sharing that's going to help us get through the pandemic and learn and be stronger for the future. So thank you so much, Cherie. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carol. We're stronger together. 